Hey there, players. I'm Scott Silver. I've spent the last quarter century as a real estate attorney and as an investor. I've met a lot of great people along the way, and I can't wait to introduce you to them. These are the specialists. They're the people that do one special thing. And I'm going to find out exactly what they do and how they and others in their profession can help you succeed in real estate. Some of them provide a service that you'll need on every real estate deal. Others, you'll hope you'll never need, but when you do need them, you'll be glad you know they exist and you heard about them here. Welcome to Real Estate, What's the Deal? So what is the deal with geology and geotechs? That, that's what we want to find out. I have here one of, scratch that, the greatest geologists that I know. I've used him for a number of deals. Uh, a number of my acquisitions, and I've referred him to a number of my clients, and he's fantastic. Joshua Pfeffer, actually the only geologist I know. Josh, I imagine that we're doing this call actually in the evening because you're just so busy during the day. Is this have you, have you been busy during the COVID times? Essentially, every year since 2012 has been the best year ever. And each year is better than the one before. And while last March, I thought I was going to have to walk into the office and lay off all my staff. It was such an unknown period and you just couldn't see your way out of it. You know, three weeks later, the sky didn't fall and it kept going on. And last year was the best year we've ever had. Wow. And we're only a month into this year, and it's still going uh, like gangbusters. So I don't know what it is, but uh, it seems to be going well. That's fantastic. Not a lot of people can say that uh, every year is better. And uh, if the SBA is listening, no, he's not giving you back uh, the PPP money. Let's step back because we went right into sort of the minutia. But I want to know, little Joshua Pfeffer, people were asking him, you know, do you want to be a fireman, a policeman? Did, you know, when did you first know you wanted to be a geologist? Well, what I wanted to do, which I'm very thankful that my parents didn't let me do when I got out of high school, is I wanted to go be a bellman in Hawaii. This was um, great. I thought those guys made a lot of money. I would right. be able to surf every day and live a lifestyle. And they said, right. absolutely not. So, uh, I went to school. I was a local uh, LA. I was only able to get into Cal State Northridge at the time. Mm. I may not have uh, worked as hard as I otherwise could have in high school. And um, I was two years into an undeclared major. Okay. And at that time, I was surfing a lot. I was scuba diving a lot. And I took an oceanography class that I actually was really turned on by. I mm. liked it very much. Um, it seemed like something that I could do. It was interesting. I could spend my time outside if I wanted to get mm. a job in it. It wasn't going to only be in an office. Mm. Um, and my brother was going to law school, and I thought I'd get into environmental law. So it was kind of on. I was never one of those kids. Like I have several employees and friends in the industry, and they all loved rocks as kids. Right. That wasn't me. It yeah. was just something that turned me on as a 20-year-old, and I pursued it. Yeah. And um, I actually never thought I would use it, but it just lent itself. I 
finished up my undergrad degree and on a lark I took uh, the GRA and I ended up getting a full scholarship to go to USA. Hmm. I was uh, I was a TA. I taught oceanography lab. They paid for all my schooling. It was the hmm. greatest time of my life. Um, I played a lot of basketball and worked <laughs> out and learned interesting things and hung out with smart people Yeah, um, all on the school's dime, and it was mm. fantastic. If we have any undergrads on the call right now uh, who are thinking of going into this field, uh, what would you tell them? They need to take some science in undergrad and then, or no, and, and, uh, and then what's the path? The, what do they apply for? What, what sort of well, degree is, how does this work? Yeah, the degree that you're ultimately going to get is a is a bachelor of science degree in undergrad. Right, and so the, I mean, there's a whole litany mm. of classes that you need to take to get the degree. Right, um, it's you know like any degree, it's well spelled out for you which classes you need at what time. But to be a geologist, you have to go for a master's in science. You don't have to in the field. Okay. Um, you know, that was something I decided to do because I thought it would behoove me in my, you know, the rest of my life. I specifically didn't want to get a PhD. I didn't mm. want to spend five to seven years right. um, on some esoteric thing. I was always an entrepreneur growing up. Mm. Um, not always within the confines of the law, but... Right. Um, I, I, you know, was was my own boss, and I always liked to be, and um, it just felt right that I should go spend a couple of years, get a master's, and then go into the profession, which worked out really well for me because my first job that I had, and one that I essentially had for seven, eight years, was at a firm that didn't do any construction support. We were not consultants to that industry. Mm -hmm. We did only expert witness work. Mm. And we worked on the landslides that occur. We worked on construction defect litigation, flooding okay. events, anything and everything that uh, needed to support that sort of work. So mm. we were hired by insurance companies to investigate claims. Um, we were hired by attorneys, we were hired by homeowner associations, and in that field, you needed, you were bona fides, you mm. needed not only experience, but you needed technical expertise. Mm. Uh, my boss at that time was a former professor at USC, you know, he was a doctor, he had a PhD, and that kind of lent itself to uh, that mm. need. So the fact that I had gotten master's kind of helped my foot in the door for mm. that sort of thing. And now I do a fair amount of expert witness work. And because I have 25 years in the industry, having a master's degree is plenty. And it also does separate me from someone that just has a bachelor's. Right. Even though it's meaningless 25 years later, experience is obviously way more important. So in those first seven years, sometimes would you have to actually review, I mean, were any of those cases malpractice cases where you were reviewing bad geology recommendations and seeing what people did wrong and what resulted? My boss always took a very uh, good tact on that. He never wanted to testify that another geologist fell under the standard of care. 
They ever wanted mm-hmm. to say another engineer fell under the standard of care. He would say they made a mistake, and making a mistake, though, is not necessarily negligent because it's human nature to make a mistake. Yeah. So what he would say is, you know, if you want me to really opine on whether someone was negligent and fell below the standard of care, then we need to study what the standard of care is in that industry and time and place. Hmm. So, for instance, you know, nowadays if hmm. someone has an infection and you don't give them penicillin or some other antibacterial, you'll be a bad doctor and it's malpractice. But right. in 1888 in India, it wasn't. Right. So it's got to be time and place. And yeah. since all of these things are retroactive, you had to then, and there were different municipalities and yeah. different standards, we would always have to do this big study on really what was what back wow. in that time and place. And that's how we approached all these things from a fairly high-level technical thing. If someone made a mistake, we would say, well, they made a mistake. As my boss would always say, we were the firm that got paid $100,000 to find out where that guy screwed up when he got paid $5,000 for his original <laughs> investigation. Yeah, and I couldn't have... So <laughs> right. mistakes are made, and I, uh, you I, move on. We I couldn't imagine... Who the was going to be, yeah. who was responsible for it, how you apportion the cost to which party, and yeah. who shared blame, and we'd figure out what the associated repair was going to be, and sometimes they were multi-million dollars, but... We never really said that anyone was negligent. Um, we just said they made mistakes. So I, I was going to say, uh, taking that tact, I could imagine that the the work from plaintiffs' attorneys must have dried up after a while. You know, it's really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first firm I worked at, we always, and I say now, I'm a client advocate. I yeah. do what my clients need me to do, but within reason, of course. Yeah. So the first firm I worked at, we were 50% plaintiff, 50% defense work. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, would couch our opinions. You know, if it was 50-50 work, we had 70-30, we could move our opinions a little bit one way or another. Of course, right. many things are just what lens you're looking at it at that moment in time. I then went from after that firm to a firm that did only defense work, mm-hmm. so much so that I would say they were whores for the defense industry. They would say anything they could to get their corporate clients off. Mm. They were a national firm. They were only hired by Fortune 500 firms. And they only did defense work, and they were very good at it, but mm. it was not um, straight, yeah. scientific. Uh, gotcha. They, they couched many opinions right. uh, with pseudoscience so, and backed it up with having PhDs. I went to a firm after that that did essentially solely plaintiff work, and they were sort of on the other side. Every crack you saw wasn't as a result of just nature causing a crack, right? little expansion here, this or that. It was, my God, everyone on this project screwed up and this house is going to fall down no matter how benign mm-hmm. that crack was. So... It's very helpful for me. I came from this middle ground. I worked for the extreme on the, so say on the right and the left. And it helps me getting jobs now because I know how those people mm-hmm. deal with litigation and the things that they say, you know, even right. before they're going to say it. So do you think having uh, done this for 25 years and, and seen all this uh, litigation, do you think like a lot of other 
fields, perhaps geologists, or maybe I should say the, the engineers that take the, the recommendations of your reports are calling for sort of overkill, more and more overkill as far as, you know, the pylons and the foundations and everything because of all the litigation that's been. It's better. Why not just call for more steel, more concrete, less likely to, to fall? Yeah, right? <laughs> of course, as everyone gets older, they get a little more conservative. That's just mm-hmm. the way the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, as every three years, the uniform building code comes out, they become more and more restrictive. Right. The seismic codes that you have to deal with become higher and higher loading what was built you know, 10 years ago, couldn't be built today mm. under the same regulations. It tends to be firms run by more seasoned folk tend to be more conservative. Yeah. And some firms are known as being, they're good at what they do. They get their reports approved by the cities, but the difference between their report and my report might cost you an extra $4 million bucks in foundation that is unnecessary it's just to cover Mm. their ass right right and so those things get known out in the marketplace and um you know some firms you can't believe anything they say they're not reputable they do anything that their clients want Mm. some firms are in business solely to uh to make sure that they don't get sued and then there's firms like ours that are client advocates but want to make sure that everything's safe in the in the long run so if i'm a a builder, I may want to find uh, some young guy who uh, can take a lot of risk to tell me, you know, I can pour a paper thin foundation. Charge you nothing <laughs> because he's hungry for the work and he'll let you get away with it. Okay, okay. That's, uh, that's not the way to be. Personally, I've called you about um, a project that I was buying where I plan to demo and build something. Um, or if I was going to build a house or anything, apartment building, and you're going to, from what I see, you're going to drill these boring holes to take out the soil, it looks like in a pipe, and go test it uh, and tell me what's in there. That's sort of, as a real estate guy, what I think of when I think of using you. The other thing I think of is uh, I've had clients, as you know, uh, buy some, some, very high-end hillside homes and whenever anything's on a hillside i always give you a call and say you know look at the old geo report and take a look at the conditions now and tell us what you think um what what are some other reasons why uh a real estate professional who's not uh, forget about the new construction but other reasons why might need you uh, is there anything else that I'm missing where I might want you to consult? Like, I guess, for example, if I'm buying a uh, a McDonald's on a flat lot, you know, that's been there, unless I see, you know, a, a sinkhole starting to grow, uh, w- does anyone ever call you just for, like, standard due diligence on a flat lot? Like right. I mean, you need to understand that we are in a very specific area, right? Mm-hmm. We live in... Los Angeles area of Southern California. I could not do what I do in a flat Midwest town with depressed Mm. real estate values because Mm. I wouldn't be able to charge a reasonable fee because 
what sells here for 10 million bucks may sell there for six hundred thousand dollars mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. if i even charge five thousand dollars to do that work it's too much of a burden relative to the the cost okay we're also in an area with lots of regulation you know in other parts of the world you could build whatever you're going to build here and you wouldn't need to have a geologist look at the subsurface mm -hmm. municipalities almost have in some instances the you know the geologist full employment act right you right. want to build your thing scott and you need to check off this box that says that you need a geologist so yeah. a fair amount of our work is dictated by the needs of the regulatory mm -hmm. agency, whatever municipality we're dealing with. Yeah. And that sort of work, which is a fair amount of our work, is not the most interesting, and there's not a lot of differences between what we would provide and what another firm provides. But when you do go into the more complex areas, when you do go into the hillsides or sites of liquefaction or your digging out big basements or there's a potential earthquake fault that mm -hmm. may exist that you need to have looked at. That's where we really cut our teeth and provide value to our clients right. because we know what we're doing. We do good investigations. We figure out what will be um, necessary for the site and nothing more. And we um, are not risk averse. We sort of we don't do things for the sake of doing things. We do things because you need to do them. And again, like I said earlier, we are advocates for our clients. And, you know, I'm a investor in many real estate deals. And I would rather that consultants on those deals don't charge the general partner as much as they otherwise could. And that's mm -hmm. how I behave with my clients. Yeah. Sometimes we provide great value and sometimes we just are getting the job done. That needs right. To, to meet the requirements for a permit. But let's say my neighbor builds his home and he hires you on a flat. We're both in the Beverly Hills flats and, and you do a report for his home. And I decide I'm going to demolish my home and build a fresh ground up home. Do I have to get a fresh report or can I somehow say to the city here's the report from a few a few hundred feet away you know we use that information from the neighboring reports to substantiate our findings I see but they will not right. allow you it needs to be site specific okay um, to the point of absurdity right. now having said that it's the exact reason why sometimes because not everything that you build needs a geologist or engineer. And very often people will say to us, we would like you to do a soil geology report. And I say, I don't think you need it on your property for what you're building in your area for the project. And they say, well, I just would like one anyway. And I say, you know, I'm not in the habit of talking us out of getting new work, but it's just not to your benefit to do it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to find anything that's going to be um, specific only to your property. You can just do it by these minimum code values and just, mm. you know, get it approved by the city. You don't need us. Don't hire us. Yeah. Because the review process for many of these municipalities is a random number generator. It depends when we could submit the same report 10 times. It'll be approved eight times and the other two times you'll get review sheets that could go on forever. It just mm -hmm. depends on what side of the bed the reviewer woke up on. Right. 
it is really, really hit and miss. And if you don't need us, then it's better off to not hire us, even if you have the money and you want to have a specific answer. Mm -hmm. I try to turn as much of that work away as I can. That reminds me of a particular, um, I'd call it a shortcut or or a a way I try and um, save on costs when I'm doing due diligence on a property that I'm thinking of developing or if my client is. And I know I've done this in the past and I can't remember where I looked or perhaps you even helped me with it, which is if you just start a due diligence on an acquisition, say, and you're not all the way in and you're not ready to pull the trigger on a full report uh, and go in and start drilling, there may be, I think I recall like a geo website where you could see there's geo reports on file maybe, and you can see if there's been any in the neighborhood and, and pull them and have them reviewed. Is that something that can be done? It's like anything. You need an expert to look at it. Yeah. You uh, have a pain in your leg and you go on Google, the next thing you know, uh, it needs to be amputated yeah. and have yeah. flesh-eating bacteria yeah. or, God forbid, cancer, right? right. You still need uh, someone with expertise to go to those websites and review yeah. the information. Yeah. I do it all the time, and I do it for free. People call me and say, I'm buying this piece of property. You want you to do a geo. And I say, look, we will do the geo for you later when you know what you're going to build. When you have an idea, send me some plans. We'll gladly write you a proposal at that time. We'll do the work for you because you're going to need a report from us to get a permit. And you need to tell your structural engineer what they're going to need to do to design your foundations and shoring and stabilize the slope. Having said that, there's nothing wrong with this property. It's exactly like every other property in the neighborhood. Go ahead and buy it. Call us for the details. But as far as your due diligence is concerned, you checked your box. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Do what you need to do to make your deal work. If I were to um, want that sort of early review, you there are publicly available places, not for me to do it, but so that you could do it, right? You know and can look. Are, are, are geo reports actually sort of on file and, and so that you can find the geo report of the development down the street? That's where the expertise comes in. Right. So for instance, City of Malibu has their website very well digitized. Mm-hmm. City of LA, you don't. We mm-hmm. have researchers that go there on a daily basis. Okay. Unincorporated LA County has some things online and some things you need to have a relationship with the geologist in the back office and be able to call them up and say, hey, yeah. can you digitize these reports and send them to me? Okay. It all depends. The other thing is, is that especially in, let's say, a hillside environment, we look at the property maybe next door or up the street or in the same canyon and we also know that we should be looking at a 1950s topographic map or a historical aerial photographs mm-hmm. or that we do need to go to a specific website. There's a lot of subtleties and nuances to it that I can't give you a blanket answer. Sure. Some areas have it, some areas don't. Some <laughs> you gotta mine this information, some you gotta go to that information. Gotcha. You know, Look at portions of PCH as you drive it. There might be a hundred landslides. Right. And 
for instance, like the area of these streets called Tremonto and Ravello, they have these horrible landslides. Streets have been built in the 20s and 30s that are now dead-end streets because there's a landslide that closed both ends of them. But just because you give me that street name doesn't mean that I know that the stretch of 20 homes is perfectly stable and okay. Right. And this one home that you might want to buy, even though there's a brand new home next door, maybe the kiss of death to you and you're going to lose every penny you've accumulated over your entire lifetime because you're never going to get that thing built. It's just too expensive. The landslide's too deep. There's too much instability. So it really is hit or miss. Every opinion in sites would say like, it yeah. just changes too much here. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the, your previous question is in areas that are really homogenous, like call it the Midwest, which just to me is flat land and uh, all of sameness, we have really young, complex geology here because of our faulting, because of the geologic environment that we're in, because we're in an edge condition next to the ocean. Mm. There's all these things here in Southern California, in San Francisco and the like, that just don't exist in other places. Mm. And we also have a high regulatory environment and more importantly, really high housing prices Mm. that make it important to give you so some price problem some properties we look at people are like oh i want to hire you and i say well you don't really need to but if you want me to give you a warm fuzzy feeling to let you know what how your property was developed why it was developed what mm. you should expect is there any fill underneath that that could settle or this yeah. the other thing We'll gladly do it, mm-hmm. but again, it's so it's so varied that you really mm. need to be careful. I guess what I'm getting so if if I was going to ask if I open escrow on a property and one of my items of due diligence is the geology uh, because I plan to build on it. Let's say I call you up or I call any geo up. What what sort of uh, report or opinion or how, how would I, what would I be asking for if I'm saying, look, I don't want a full-on soils report. I just want you to look at the history. You know, maybe there's historical geo reports and give me your best sense without touching the soil based on the topography and everything of what you think. What, what do I ask for? What's that? Is there a name to that or? Yeah. So, I mean, we call those due diligence reports. Okay. So we're not actually <laughs> doing a subsurface right. investigation. Yeah. We're doing historical work. Okay. Pulling soil and geology reports from the neighboring properties okay. to see what they did when they developed. We okay. look at landslide and seismic and fault and hazard zones. Um, we look at liquefaction maps. I mean, we do, there's a lot to it. Right. Um, but it's all in the office that we're doing. Okay. Reports getting the research from the cities. And yeah. then we synthesize all that information and tell you, look, you're, you may have difficulty here that we look at well data, you know, you're, you want to go three stories of subterranean here and there's a groundwater at 15 feet. It's going to be hell for you when you drill the holes. Right. You're going to have to dewater. There's going to be all these unforeseen conditions that you're going to have to deal with. We can tell you whether it's going to be too gravelly or sandy and you're going to have a lot of caving in your site and it's going to be difficult for mm-hmm. you. Whether, whether, you know, someone called me today and said, if I develop on the site, is it going to cost me an arm and a leg because the rock is so hard. I've heard the rock is so hard in this area that 
you know, the drillers when they come out there to drill their caissons, you know, break their bits. And we have that yeah. background information, of course. And yeah. because we've been doing it for so long, we have a lot of information that will give you that due diligence where I'm either going to say, don't worry about it. It's an easily developable property. Or this might be difficult. Here's what you have to look for. Right. You're going to have this. Your foundations are going to be like this. And then... Mm -hmm. We actually sit with our clients and talk through the costs. We know what the costs are to drill a pile. We know what the mm -hmm. costs are for the concrete and steel. We know, you know, we're not structural engineers, but we know the spacing of your foundation systems and what it's going to be. And we, mm -hmm. You know, again, I can tell you, look, if you're going to, it's like when people build a pool, it's going to cost you a hundred grand to build a pool in your backyard, flat ground. This pool is going to cost you 500,000 because there's an extra 300,000 foundations going to have to do right. with associated grading work so without actually doing the subsurface investigation we can give guidance to our clients about how much lead time would you need to do a report like that is it a, a two week three week if you're calling me out <laughs> of the blue and i'm busy it might be it different depends, than it depends on how busy you're a client who's been with yeah. me for years and years so yeah you know typically it's not very expensive uh -huh. i mean look my business, you know, you, my technicians who do compaction testing are a hundred bucks an hour. Mm. I mean, you have to have a lot of hours of those guys for it to actually be really meaningful to a project. Mm. I charge for a typical hourly rate of 250 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. So if someone's going to need a due diligence report for a property, you know, if it's going to take me four hours of my time and then I have staff okay. doing all the research and everything, it might only be like a $2,000 report. Got it. That's going to give you all the information that you need. Yeah. Um, the non-subsurface investigation, these historical review and research, they're about $2,000 report for yeah. any piece of property. I laughed when you told me the name because I expected uh, some sort of jargon you know, or some sort of uh, scientific. You know, I'm like, of course it's a due diligence report. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what I would have called it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's good to know. I think a lot of people don't really know that that's an available, you know, something, something you can do early on in the process, you know, that can avoid a huge problem and isn't that expensive. Very often yeah. people will call me and it while I'm talking to him on the phone over a five-minute phone call, and I'm looking at historical photographs and researching some right. websites, I can say, you know, in that five minutes, I'm not charging you a thing. You know, don't buy this property. Right. Or I can say it's going to be okay. Or, look, we're going to need more time. It's going to take us about a week to gather all this information, write up a report, and... They'll give you all the information you need at that time. But those awesome. due diligence things are actually very, um, that's not our bread and butter. We do them. We want to help people. I mean, the first, our motto at my company is we're here to help people. Whether we make money on it or not is a sort of secondary thing. We do make money. I'm very happy with what I do. It's been a good career. But I look at it as an aggregate positive. I don't have mm -hmm. to make money on every little thing. And if I could help someone out, spend 10 minutes holding their hand and get them through that, even if I'm not charging them for them, the, the karma accumulates over time. Yeah, yeah.